Uh, I want to thank you all for coming out in the uh, cold conditions today. We weren't really sure if we were going to have this, and uh, so thank you all for uh, dealing with everything and still making it out. Um, uh, where was I? Um, yeah, so that movie, or that movie you just saw a clip from was from The Shack. How many of y'all either read the book or saw the movie? Yeah, so there's it's some, in, in Christian circles, it's kind of a controversial movie. There, there's some finer points of, the, of theology on the Trinity that it gets wrong. There's some points on it that it does a really good job with, so people kind of have mixed views on it. However, when it comes to dealing with some issues from the past, that's really what the story's about. Uh, that's a great scene. Uh, a really great scene about how to deal with the past. And that line there, he says, you're stuck not because you can't, you're stuck because you won't. Uh, and for many of you, that may be the only revelation you need to take away from this morning, um, is that there's some issues from your past, you feel like you're stuck in them, and they continue to hurt you, and you just can't get past it. Uh, well, you're, you're stuck there not because you can't, you're stuck because you won't. And there'll be some tools in this series that can help you get past some of these things from your past, but it's a decision you've got to make to get past them a decision you've got to make to engage them. Uh, last week, um, we talked about uh, how as you go th- if you went through all your whole life and you try to answer the question, how did I get here? Uh, you would come up with a long list of things. Uh, for some of you, maybe 10, 15. Some of you, maybe 20, 30, maybe even 40 different things. Uh, and on that list, there's going to be things in that category that you would say, uh, these are things that I've done to get myself here. These are decisions I've made, mistakes I've made, choices I've made. You put them in maybe that category called my bad. Uh, But then there's also a category of the your bad. You see, the my bad category, it's a lot easier, it seems a lot easier to deal with the my bad category, right? We talked last week how our our natural instinct is to go down the path of regret. Uh, There's no hope in regret. There's only futility because you can't go back and change the past. Regret's trying to go back and change the past. Rather, what God points you in the direction of is making amends and repenting. In other words, what direction are you going to go in now? And so I feel like I have a lot of control over the my bad part of my past because I'm in control of who I am and the decisions I make going forward. The hard part sometimes in dealing with our past is the, the your bad part. How do I deal with the stuff that's been done to me, uh, that's been said to me, that's been taken from me, uh, where people have lied to me, they've cheated me, they've done something wrong, they've, they've, they've taken either from me or from someone that I love, uh, something that I can't replace? Uh, because the reality is, is there's a lot of things that money can fix. There's a lot of things that time will heal. But there's some things on that list that money can't fix and time doesn't heal. Uh, think about that old... TV show or that, that old commercial, it said, um, you know, some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. doesn't apply here. <laughs> some things money can't fix. It just can't. So what do you do in those situations where uh, it just, you can't deal with it? Uh, well, you really only have two options on the you are bad category. Uh, as far as I know, I've looked through this. There's only about two options you can go down. They end up in one of two categories. It's either a path of bitterness or it's a path of forgiveness. That's it. You're either going to not forgive them or you're going to forgive them. If you don't forgive them, you're going to go down a path called bitterness. Uh, If you do forgive them, uh, then that leads to a different place. We'll get there at the end. And so often as you're going through this, there's going to be a temptation that says, well, I can't forgive them. So what other choice do I have? I'll remind you, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. Uh, I know that for some of you, you may be saying, Steve, you just don't know. And I'm going to come back at you and say, well, not all of you know my past either. You don't know what I've had to go through. You don't know what I've had to forgive. I'm talking as a fellow wounded person here. 
Um, I've had some major issues of forgiveness. I've had some long bouts with bitterness uh, of things that I've had to go through. So I'm not coming up here as one who's so detached and just, you know, because I used to have that issue. I'd look up at these pastors and they'd have that preacher voice and they'd have the suit on and they would just have it all together. I'm like, you don't know what I'm going through. Easy for you to say, Bible boy, right? (laughs) You think that about me. Some of you know my past. Some of you know what I've had to go through and what I've had to forgive in my lifetime. Um, if you come to CR, you'll know a lot more about it. I, I get a lot more open in the CR uh, group because what's, what's said here stays here, right? There you go. See, it's much more open. Whereas some of y'all in here, you're liable to go out and tell all kinds of things about me. I don't know. <laughs> sort of trust you. I don't know. All that to say, uh, when, when Paul gets to writing the church about how to maintain the unity of a church, how do we live out the expression of our faith? He, he's writing to them about how is it that we live together as a body of believers. He talks about the unity. We need to keep the unity and the struggles of that. We need to quit going through life the way that you used to before you got saved. And he gets down in the midst of all this section of how is it we live out our Christian life. He says this, this thing in, 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 towards the end of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Rather, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. And you read that, get rid of all bitterness, and you kind of want to go, easier said than done, right? Easy for you to say, you don't know what I've been through. You're right, I don't know what you've been through. And, And while I've been through some stuff I've had to go through and forgive people for, everyone's unique. I I acknowledge that. What you've gone through is different than what anybody else has gone through. Nobody else has had your exact same experience. They've had some similarities. uh, They've had some similar hurts, but nobody's been through what you've been through. I get that. But I can also tell you, God looks at you regardless of what you've been through and says, you've got to get rid of all bitterness. You've got to. You just got to. Um, The word bitterness literally means to pierce, uh, to cut to shreds. So just think about that. When you choose not forgiveness, when you choose to not forgive somebody, what you're doing is you're choosing to uh, do something that is piercing, that will shred. Uh, Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, it talks about bitterness as a root. It says, get rid of the root of bitterness. Uh, You think about a root. Uh, It's underground. You don't really see it. And there's a while where nobody sees what's happened. They don't see the hurt you're carrying inside. They don't see how you've dealt with it. But as with every root, if you've got roots in your yard, eventually they start to surface. Eventually they start to tear up things underground. They'll bust water pipes. Some of you all have cracked uh, sidewalks, cracked uh, driveways. Think about how much, how, how strong and heavy you'd have, or how strong you'd have to be to lift the weight of a concrete driveway. And that root, over time, will bust that thing up, lift it up out of the ground. Uh, if you ever have roots in your yard, you also know it's, it's almost impossible, if not impossible, to, com- to plant anything over top of it. I remember I made the dumbest... It worked out in the end, but I had these roots all over my yard that I made it so I couldn't plant any grass. No grass would grow. There's like, no problem. I'll just make a planter. What, you're going to put flowers where you can't get grass to grow? No, nothing's going to grow there. So basically what I had was this planter with no plants in it. Uh, it was just sort of like a mulch bed. That's all it could be. Because with the roots there, nothing else can grow in that soil. And that's what I want you to understand. When you have bitterness in your soul, nothing else good is going to grow there. Period. Nothing else good is going to grow there. Uh, the other thing about um, these roots, as you also know, is eventually these roots surface. Uh, and these roots will, if, if, if roots are going down into a bitter soil and the bitterness in your heart, eventually it's going to lead to toxic fruit. Bitter roots lead to toxic fruit. It's going to end up poisoning everything else around you. And you see that kind of in this progression. He talks about how you'll see a progression here. He says, you know, get rid of all bitterness. And everything else that flows after that is the path that bitterness leads you on. So he says, get rid of all bitterness. And then he says, wrath and anger. Um, 
wrath and anger. That's that in, in intense and negative destructive emotion that just begins to take over your soul. And it gets to the point where it's impossible to control. You just can't not be angry. You just can't not be frustrated. And somebody says, why are you always so angry? Sometimes you say, I don't know. Well, the reason why you don't know is because it comes from a bitterness. The thing about that bitterness is it spreads. Uh, it can begin with where you're anger or bitter over something that happened to you that somebody did. And what's really crazy about it is that it, it grows. It goes from you're mad because your ex-wife did something to you. Well, now all of a sudden, you, you're mad at all women. And all women are going to pay for what your ex-wife did to you. Or maybe all men are going to pay for what your ex-husband did. Because all men are that way, aren't they? You know how they are, right? And maybe, maybe you haven't said that, but you know somebody who has, right? Um, or, you know, or marriage as an institution is bad. I'm never getting married again because just you know, mar- all marriage is bad. I, I, I've had six marriages and every single one of them was bad, right? Are you laughing at me or somebody else? I haven't had six marriages. For some of you, it's government or any government-run institution. Maybe it's military. All the military is bad. Everybody who's an officer is bad. And you just love them all into one group. Political parties. Uh, everybody from that political party is bad. Yeah, everybody who thinks that way is bad. And they're the reason why we have all these problems. And it's very easy to trigger you. Just say the word Trump or Biden. Instantly, you'll see somebody get triggered. Maybe you had something bad happen to you in a country, and now everybody from that country is bad. You had a bad experience when you went to Mexico. Now anybody who's Mexican is bad. Or maybe it was a race of people. Maybe there was somebody of a certain race that did something to you or said something to you, and now everybody who looks like that person is now bad in your mind. This is where bitterness leads. It leads to an expansion. It leads to this toxic fruit where it doesn't just stay contained with that one thing that you're mad about. It spreads and it grows to the point where you're just an angry person. Uh, It just becomes embedded, so embedded in your character, you can't even remember why it was that you got angry in the first place. And you get to the point where you oppose anything that they stand for. They're wrong, they're ignorant. Even if they say something right, I don't care, they're wrong and they're ignorant. Just apply that to politics for a minute. Isn't that exactly what we have in our country right now? Same thing happens when you have that disposition towards a person or towards a race or towards a a group of people. Now you see this in teenagers. Teenager gets bitter about something that their parents have done, and now all of a sudden they never trust their parents. They're mad at their parents, and it doesn't matter what their parents try to do good the rest of their life, or maybe for a long season, they're just mad and they're just angry. <coughs> this continues. Uh, this moves from just parents to any authority figure. A future boss tries to tell them, hey, I need you to clean up uh, back in the, in, in, in the break room. And what do they say back? Who are you to tell me? Well, I'm your boss. I don't care. What happens? You know, it just grows and it grows and it grows, and it goes from employers and then often, oftentimes into society as in general, uh, where they don't respect any authority figure. Then they start having problems with the law. Why? Because they don't respect any authority figure. Why? Because what started with an angry disposition towards a parent over something they were bent about grows and grows and grows to the point where you're just angry. Um, next thing you'll see is that these, these angry emotions, so bitterness moves to anger and rage, uh, you'll see it goes from a disposition to an action. Whatever, everything else that comes next is an action. Uh, it says in there, uh, brawling, uh, and then slander, and then malice. Now, brawling. Uh, I love the, li- sometimes when you look up the literal roots of these words, they're, they're very descriptive. Now, when we think of brawling, we're thinking of people who are throwing down punches, right? The word here is actually, it says, it's a word that means a lot of shouting. You ever been in somebody's home and you just say, what was it like? Well, there was just a lot of shouting. What's that person like? What's that word? That word that means a lot of shouting? Yes, that's her. Yeah, a lot of shouting with her. A lot of shouting with him. 
Uh, it, what's happened is that the bitterness has grown to a point of anger and rage where everything is go time. Any little thing's going to set them off, and they're just going to yell, and they're going to scream. Uh, everybody gets the message, just get out of my way. And, and you know when somebody is like that or when that, that person, and here's what happened. The person is trying to protect themselves from the hurt that happened to them that they haven't been able to forget, and so their way of protecting them is making sure that they run over everybody in their past and nobody else has a chance to hurt them. And that's, that's just their disposition. They don't want to be bullied, so what do they become? The bully. And most bullying is verbal abusive, right? And so you see, this, you know, get rid of uh, this kind of brawling. Slander. Slander is a more deliberate habit of running a person down. Uh, it can happen to a certain person or it can happen to a group of people. Uh, and this is where you will never let a good word said about them go unchecked. You've always got to put the rebuttal. Yeah, well, you know, oh, did you see that Kathy brought in donuts? Well, you know why she did that, because she has to be the center of attention. So you just can't let anything good ever be said uh, about anybody. Uh, well, I wouldn't trust him if I were you. He's a compulsive liar, right? You just, you've got to put that in there because slander doesn't want anybody else to have a good impression of them. You're hurt by what they've done or you're hurt what, what, by what somebody in their group of people has done and you want everybody else to feel the same way about, you, about them as you do. You want everybody else to have your same political view. You see this on Facebook, right? You want everybody else, to, it's, just, it's all bitterness. You want everybody else to agree with you because it makes you feel better and more justified about where you're at especially if it's the person who hurts you. You really want everybody to not like them the way you don't like them. So he says, get rid of all the bitterness, the brawling, uh, the slander. And then this word malice. Um, malice is where you get to the point where you just have a wicked and vicious disposition. One of the definitions says a vicious disposition. Just think about that for a minute. James talks about a similar pattern with sin. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 15, 14 to 15, he says, you know, when sin grows inside your heart, eventually it's going to give birth to death. In other words, it just sort of grows and grows and grows and eventually leads to death. Bitterness is the same way. It gets inside your soul and it grows and it goes from just bitterness to a sense of anger where you're just an angry person and wrathful person. Uh, that comes out in the form of just a lot of yelling, a lot of putting people down, a lot of slander, a lot of twisting things. And eventually it gets to the point where there's just maliciousness in you. There's just a, mane- uh, is it malevolent? Maleficent? Malevolent, that's what, the malevolent heart. Um, something's a Disney character there, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I wish I was better with words. Um, but it just grows to the point where the person has no capacity for love. They cannot possibly see the good in somebody or in something. This is where somebody, everything that they see, they always find the bad in it. They always find the bad in somebody. They always assume the worst of somebody. They can't possibly assume that anybody's ever done anything nice or good or altruistic. Some people have this view towards church. They've been in the church and somebody in that church or maybe a pastor in that church hurt them and now they have this, uh, uh, this what was that word? Malevolence. Malevolence towards church where they just can't ever see that anybody good could ever be a part of a church, Period. And they just have this, it's, it's, it is a deep-seated bitterness that's grown to the point of a vicious disposition. Now, I don't know where you're at on the, con- uh, the continuum of this. If you have something that you haven't forgiven, you're somewhere on this continuum. It may not be all the way to the point of this, but give it time, eventually it's going to get to this place. And as I've been talking about this, everybody in this room can think of somebody who fits this category, can't you? We all can. Here's the problem. All sin is hard to see in the mirror. It's really hard to see when we have the same disposition. It's really, really hard to see it. 
And if you have something you haven't forgiven, you're somewhere along this continuum. Now, it's understandable why you're that way, okay? They hurt you. They did something. It's understandable. But that doesn't mean it's excusable. It doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because I can understand why you're there doesn't mean I'm going to look at you and go, well, it's a really good thing. Like, just because you have really bad junk food habits because, you know, you grew up in a home where nobody ate vegetables and, and everybody just always ate whatever they wanted, I get that. I get that you have bad habits. Doesn't mean that's good for you. Some of you are laughing because you know that's me. Um, <laughs> doesn't mean that's good for you, right? I've had some people say, well, in my home, this is just how we dealt with people. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's healthy. It's understandable. Doesn't mean it's, it's healthy or good for you. Um, the other thing about this is you might also say, well, I just can't forgive them. Don't confuse can't with won't. And most of the time, it's not that you can't, it's just that you're, you don't want them to get off easy. You have this sense that if I forgive them, it's like as if they got away with it. If I forgive them, uh, it's like as if they don't understand the hurt that I'm going through. I want them to hurt the way I hurt. Well, first of all, how is your bitterness exacting any kind of hurt on them anyway? Many people that you're bitter about don't even know it anymore. They've moved on. Oftentimes, hurtful people are so calloused individuals, they don't know or care that they hurt you, right? Um, bitterness will convince you that forgiveness is never possible. It's sort of this self-spiraling that goes down and down and down. Uh, and the thing about bitterness is it only compounds your hurt. It only makes the hurt worse and worse and worse over time. The reality is forgiveness is the only path for healing from your hurt. Forgiveness is the only path for healing from your hurt. Uh, and as we talk about the path of forgiveness, you're going to see why. Now, I've taught a lot of messages on forgiveness over, over the past couple years, uh, past 10 years or so. Um, I, if you, you're struggling with forgiveness, this is going to be a really brief cliff notes. I've got about 10 minutes left uh, to give you sort of the highlights of this. Uh, I encourage you to go online and look through some of the messages on forgiveness. There's some deeper details to this. But he says in here, he says, be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving one another just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Now, uh, years ago I showed a clip from Oprah. Not that I watched Oprah, I went searching. Some, people always say, where do you find these clips from? Sometimes I just go searching for them, sometimes I remember them. This was not one I remembered watching, it was one I searched and found. And this, they had all these quote-unquote experts up there, these psychologists and whatnot. Every one of them was an absolute buffoon. As a matter of fact, I showed the clip in here years and years ago, and I showed it at CR, and after I, you know, watched, you know, we watched all these people show their takes on forgiveness, I played that clip from Billy Madison, where he says, we are all dumber for having listened. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it was all kinds of just dumb, circular ramblings, because, and one person on a panel actually said something true. She says, I can't help you with that. Forgiveness is a spiritual issue. Here was a secular psychologist saying, I can't help you forgive. Forgiveness is a spiritual issue. And ultimately it is. It's a spiritual issue. And outside of a relationship with God, I don't have any guidance for you on how to, how to forgiveness, how to find forgiveness, or how to do forgiveness. And when somebody says, I just can't forgive, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I agree with you. You can't. You don't have the capacity to, the knowledge to, the understanding on how to. And I'm sitting here listening to this panel of, uh, of experts, and it was interesting. Every single one of them agreed you had to because it was necessary and it was unhealthy not to, but none of them had any strategies or ways to do it, which makes sense because you're going to see in a minute the only way you can is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So four things I want to talk about for forgiveness. One is step one of forgiveness is accept the loss. Accept the loss. 
I've got to accept that this happened. It's unchangeable. I can't go back and change it. It is what it is. Forgiveness is not going to change what they've done. No more than bitterness is going to change what they've done, right? So let's just, let's just understand on the front end, there's no way to go. In the same way your regrets can't go back and change your decisions, bitterness and forgiveness, neither one of those will go back and change what they did. We agree on that? It happened. They took from you. They stole from you, whether it be your innocence or your life. It could be uh, a life of a family member. It could be years of your life. You're not getting it back. It, it, and part of this is sort of having a funeral for what was lost, where you grieve and you mourn over it and understand it's not coming back, and it's not getting back. And my goal here is not to be made whole, right? My goal is not to get back what it is, because I can't. One of the things I love about going to Celebrate Recovery is the end of Celebrate Recovery, we finish off with a surrender prayer. But it's not the abbreviated version most of you all know. Yeah, it's a, it's a full expanded one. And listen, there's a line in there that gets me every time. Um, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Many of you all know that part of it, but it goes on. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Now here's the line. Taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. If you can get that down, there's a lot of cathartic healing just in that line right there. Jesus takes this world as it is. He takes you as you are, takes me as I am, not as he would have it. You have to take your past as it is, not as you would have it be. You have to take what people have done to you as it is, not as you would have it. You have to take it as it is. Trusting that he will make things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. All right. So on the front end, we have to understand that our goal here is not to undo what's been done because it can't happen. And if you're chasing that end by trying to extract that out of somebody, remember I said there's some things money can't fix and time won't heal. No apology from them is going to fix it, going to make you feel better. No, no amount of justice legally or vengeance is going to undo all of that. Or make you, just because they hurt the way you hurt doesn't mean you don't hurt anymore, right? The hurt's going to be there. So part of this is I have to accept the loss, accept it as it is. Second thing is, or accept the pain, the second thing about this is I need to transfer the pain to Jesus. Transfer the pain to Jesus. Now, this is where the secular psychologists struggle because they know there has to be some transference of the pain, but they don't have anywhere to transfer it to. They have nowhere to take it. They, they stop on the accept the loss, and that's it. They basically say accept the loss, and you just got to move on. But I can't because it's still there. So for the Christian, you have this tool that he mentions in here. He says, he says, forgive one another just as in Christ God's forgiven you. Transfer the pain of Jesus. Now, what I want in my pain is revenge. Maybe I'm the only one in here, right? <laughs> maybe, okay, maybe there's two of us in here, all right. Um, what I want to do is I want to transfer my pain back to them, Right? We feel like there's need to have a transference of pain, but I want to transfer my pain from me back on to them. I want to put it on them, right? Now, there's two things you have to trust from God's word, though. Number one is, and he mentioned that, that in, the, in, the, in, the, in the video there, where he says, I just don't want to get away with it. He says, trust me, nobody gets away with anything, all right? I'm going to mention a verse that for some of you is going to terrify you because of your own life. 
For others of you, you'll find some comfort in because of what's been done to you. It's Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Now, that should be terrifying for yourself, for anything you haven't confessed before God, haven't dealt with. Eventually, God says it's going to come out. And I always tell people, it's either going to come out on your schedule or on his. It's either going to come out in the way that you choose or the way he chooses. And you see this every day, right? Eventually, it's going to be the front page news story of your life, right? And the more public figure you are, the bigger that news story is, right? We see this. People didn't choose when the scandal came out. It just came out, right? People didn't choose when their wife found out. She just found out. People didn't choose for their boss to find out. He just found out. On the other hand, you have the opportunity of going before God and making amends with him first. And God looks at you and he says, listen, I'm giving you, this time right now is a time of grace, not a time where you've slickly gotten away with it. We clear on that? It's a time of grace where God said, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of time here to wise up, to fess up for what you've done, and make amends for it. But be sure of this. You try to run from this, you try to hide from this, your sin will find you out. And for the person who has hurt you, this also applies. Right now, they're in this time of grace where they got some time to deal with this. And you're like, but they ain't dealing with it. Well, just trust this. Their sin will find them out. Nobody gets away with anything. The second thing about this is uh, Romans 12, 19 to 21. God looks at you and he says, listen, their sin will find them out. But for you, do, he says, do not take revenge. Leave room for my wrath. In other words, God's looking down at you and he's like, listen, um, could you just get out of the way? I'm about to rain down fury on them, but you're kind of in the way, right? It's like as if you're trying to throw a snowball at somebody, but your mom's in the way, right? Like, mom, could you move? Could you move? Could you move? Could you move? You can't throw the snowball as long as mom's in the way. At least you shouldn't, right? <laughs> right? Like, my kids come at me, and I always make sure I'm like, like, if they're there, I make sure Jules right behind me. Like, come on. Come on. No, you can't do that, right? Sometimes we're getting so close to the action trying to seek out our own revenge. God's like, I can't do anything because you're going to be the collateral damage. I don't want to hurt you. Could you just get out of the way and make room for my wrath? So he says, don't take revenge, but leave room for my wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. God's like, back off, he's mine. There's a part of me that goes, okay. <laughs> right? Long ago, it finally occurred to me this. God's more powerful than I am. He's far wiser than I am. And he can do a heck of a lot more to mess up somebody's life than I possibly could. Amen. Seems like he's done it to me enough times. Right? So he says, can you, just, can you just back off and make room for my wrath? And then he even says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals upon their head. But I don't want to. God says, listen. See, here's the thing. So oftentimes, God is trying to use his Holy Spirit to convict somebody of what they've done. But this person will never hear the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because your voice is too freaking loud. You're the one nagging at him, yelling at him, accusing him, coming down on him. And God has no room for the Holy Spirit to speak. They can't hear it of your voice. I find this oftentimes in married couples. Yeah, well, he, well, he, well, he, well, he, well, he, 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 he. It's like, you know, there's no way the Spirit of God will ever convict this person. And they'll never convict your husband. Because they can't hear the Holy Spirit. All they can hear is you. And even though you're saying the same thing as the Holy Spirit, 
They don't think it's the Holy Spirit. They just think it's their nagging wife or their nagging husband. It goes both ways. And you just need to back up, be kind, allow your kindness to show them and convict them. But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? Can you get out of the way and trust God that he'll take care of that? See, this what if it doesn't thing is our way of saying, I can't trust God to take his wrath. Now, here's the hard part, though. It's, it's what I call the Jonah dilemma. Now, in Peter, he says this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slow. Sometimes we're like, God, it's taking forever. You haven't done anything. He says, instead, he's being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. I love that verse when it's applied to me. You know where I'm going with this, right? I don't like that verse so much when he applies it to somebody who's hurt me, though. God, how come you haven't come down? How come you haven't rained fire down on them yet? God says, oh, I will. Trust me, I will. And they will rue the day that they hurt someone I love. But I don't want to bring that down on anybody. I don't want to bring it down on them any more than I want to bring it down on you. This is why I call it the Jonah Dilemma. Jonah was very mad at the people of Nineveh. We don't know why. We don't know what the backstory is. He hated the people of Nineveh for what they'd done. They were ruthless people um, who did some really bad things to his country, countrymen. And he wanted to see them suffer for that. Instead, God says, well, before I punish them, I want you to go there and preach a message of repentance. And so he goes there. He preaches the worst message ever. He goes, repent or God's going to kill you. Out. <laughs> That's almost verbatim his entire text, right? He wanted to preach such a bad message they wouldn't listen to it. Unfortunately, though, for him, they listened to it, and they all repented. Well, Jonah didn't think they would. He goes up on the top of a mountain to look down on the city. He's like, all right, God, I'm waiting for the fireworks. Bring down your wrath. I don't care if it's lightning bolts. I don't care if it's fire from heaven. Whatever it is, do, do what you do, God. Do what you do best. Bring down the wrath, right? And it doesn't happen. And Jonah gets really, really mad and bitter. And he says this. All of this seemed really wrong to Jonah. And he got real angry. This is that bitterness which leads to anger. This is that path. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, God, before, you at, before I ever showed up here? Didn't this what I said when I was at home? This is why I tried to go to Tarshish. This is why I went the other way. This is why I didn't come here in the first place with a message of forgiveness. Because I knew you were just such a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. So just take away my life. I'd rather, I'd rather die than live. He's that bitter. He's that frustrated. What he's saying is, like, God, I know you can bring down the wrath, but I also know you're a big softy at heart who has a heart for redemption. And I don't want them to be redeemed. You ever felt like Jonah? That's the hard part here. And God's looking down and he says, listen, I will punish their sin. However, if they do repent, I will punish Jesus Christ for what they've done in the same way I've punished Jesus Christ for what you've done. That's a hard one to swallow, though, isn't it? Especially when I'm crying out for God for justice and to punish them, and God says, I will lay out everything on them that they deserve, except for I'm going to redirect it towards Jesus Christ. And when you begin to see that your anger and wrath towards them is now being refocused on Jesus Christ, it kind of twists you a little bit, doesn't it? This is where God says, forgive them, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What happened to all your sin? 
What happened to the punishment God was going to rain down on you? What about all the people who want to see you pay for what you've done to them? How'd you escape? It was put on Jesus Christ. I have to accept that in the same breath that I'm asking God to forgive me for what I've done, that same offer is offered everybody else too. You have to accept that. He's transferred your punishment onto Jesus, and he may very well transfer their punishment on it too. There's a second piece that follows up with this. And this is that, that parable that Jesus tells about the unforgiving servant where this guy who's been forgiven of like this huge debt that goes out and he chokes out one of his fellow friends for a small debt. And then he comes back and says, wait a minute, you've been forgiven of a million dollars, now you're choking this guy out for a hundred bucks? How could you? You have to understand, in the same breath, if I'm going to ask God to forgive me for everything I've ever done, how can I not then forgive somebody for what they've done? However big it, it is, if you were to take the totality of every sin you've ever committed, I guarantee you what they've done is not greater. If you add up, because let's face it, you've got, what, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of sins that's just listed out. And if you could list out every single one of them, anybody ever had the unfortunate privilege of having a judge read off your rap sheet? Maybe I'm the only one. I don't have a criminal history, but I do have a driving history. <laughs> and I had a judge in Virginia Beach when I'd gotten a speeding ticket who said, you know, if you go do like the online traffic thing, I'll, I'll, you know, forgive it. I was like, okay, cool. So I went and did it. Well, when I showed back up, that judge wasn't sitting on the bench that day. It was a different judge. And this guy looked at my, he, he pulled up my record and he goes, oh no, I'm not accepting this. Uh-uh, No. And I was like, well, you know, Judge so-and-so showed you what he goes. He goes, where is that, where is that guy, where, where is that judge right now? And he found out what court, he goes, you go down to his courtroom. If he'll still do this for you, fine, but I'm not doing this. I went and found that judge, thank God. <laughs> but I felt like pretty good about my driving record until so he started bringing up stuff from Alabama, stuff from Florida, stuff from New Orleans, stuff from Georgia. You know, they got all that stuff, right? I'd forgotten. <laughs> Like, he was bringing stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, I was like 17, right? Didn't that seem unfair when you're 47 to bring up something from 30 years ago? But you do realize God's got a record of all that if he wanted. And if he were to bring out that whole rap sheet of everything, after list, how long would it take for God to list out your rap sheet? Just picture him spending a week listing out everything you've done from the time you were five years old till now every single thing, right? And then at the end of it going, okay, no, no, no. What was it that you were up here for me complaining about? about what, who, who did what to you? Just let that sink in. That's what he's talking about. Forgive one another in Christ just as God forgiven you. How's he forgiven you? Totally and completely. Transfer that pain over to Jesus Christ. Uh, next thing is this. So, um, you know, we've got accepting the pain, transferring the pain, um, and this is a hard one, not remembering the pain. I'm not saying forget. You can't just forget something. But you can choose not to remember it. And that may sound like a, a, a play on words, but, but there's, there's, there's a difference here. Um, unforgiveness and bitterness is the decision to bring up what they've done again and again and again and again, right? Uh, whereas love keeps no record of wrongs, that's all bitterness does. It brings it up every single day, reminds you of it every single day. Uh, it's, it's like where you keep touching where it hurts. Well, it hurts right here. Well, quit doing that, right? Quit doing that, right? Um, God says this about our sin in Hebrews chapter 8, verse, 4, verse 12. 
Uh, I will forgive their wickedness and I will, I will remember their sins no more. Uh, this is where you decide I'm not going to bring it up to them, I'm not going to bring it up to somebody else, and I'm not going to bring it up to myself. You're not telling everybody else what they did. That's, you're not going to bring it up. When you see them, you don't bring it up to them. And then you're, when it comes up in your own mind, and it will, you have to go back through the process. What was the process? How'd you get here? How'd you get to the point of forgiveness? Oh, what they did, what they did. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go back and remember everything you've done too. When you fail in the process of forgiveness, you have to go back to your crisis and your need for forgiveness. When you fail in the process of, because forgiveness is a process. It's not a one-time thing. It's a process. This is going to take you a while. When you fail in the process of forgiveness, go back to your crisis, your need for forgiveness. Last thing I'll say is make payments on the pain. Um, Years ago, in, in talking about forgiveness, I read, I think, I think it was, I got my notes here from Dan Hamilton's book on called Forgiveness. I loved this illustration, this analogy, because this is what forgiveness was for me. He said, forgiveness is like a gift that you give, but you bought it on credit. Forgiveness is a gift that you've given, but you bought it on credit. So let's just say you bought your kids a, a present at, at, at uh, Christmas. Uh, let, let me, let's just say you bought your, this ain't going to happen. You brought your son a new car for Christmas, right? <laughs> Who's got cash to pay for a new car, though, right? So he got the new car at Christmas. He drove it, and he's driving right now. But every month, you get a bill in the mail, right, where you've got to make a payment on it. Every single month, you've got to make a payment on it. Every single month, you've got a payment on it. That's what forgiveness is like. They get the gift of forgiveness, whether they received it or not. By the way, forgiveness doesn't mean you've told them they're forgiven. That's a whole other message of a whole other time. But this is just talking about what we're internally doing with our own selves. I'm purchasing this forgiveness by transferring the pain to Jesus Christ. But I'm making payments on it every month. And he says it like this. Um, once upon a time I was engaged to a young woman who changed her mind. I forgave her, but I couldn't send away my emotions in just one single moment of decision and effort on forgiveness, whether that was done in small amounts over years. For instance, when I spoke with her and refrained from bringing up the past, I made a payment. When I saw her with another man, I was making a payment. When I had to renounce jealousy and self-pity in my own soul, I was making a payment. When I got to the point where I actually was able to pray for her as she moved on into other relationships, that was a payment. When I praised her and spoke of her high value, when there was a part of me that still wanted to slice away at her reputation, I was making a payment. Every one of those were payments. She never saw them. And I'm sure she was making payments of her own that was unforeseen by me, for I don't know what her private trials were any more than she knows what mine but I do know she forgave me, and I forgave her, and I'm still making payments. That really helped me understand, because there's a time I was like, well, I'm still hurting. Yeah, yeah, that's another payment you've got to make. That's another time where you've got to go back to the throne room of grace of God and say, God, they hurt me. I understand. And God's like, I understand. What have I forgiven you for? Okay, let's transfer that over to them. Every time that, that payment note comes in, God says, do you want me to pick that up? Do you want me to pay for that? just like I paid for yours? Or do you want to deal with it again? Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's something you're making payments on. My hope is that you'll move out of bitterness and into a place of freedom on your past. It's not easy. This process is not easy. Um, this whole process, when I fail in the process, go back to the crisis, it used to take me about a week or so to get back to that place. They'd hurt me again. I'd see their face again. Somebody would mention them. 
and all that pain would just stir right back up. You with me on this? I'd, get, I'd go right back to ground zero just as mad, and it would take me about a week or so before I could work back to the place where I could go back to the place of forgiveness and make that payment. Eventually, it would take about a day or two. Sometime after that, it would take about a, about a day. Then it would take me about an hour or so to sort of, you know, like where you all riled up. Eventually, I'd settle down after about an hour or so. After, after a year or two, I got to the point where it was a deep breath. Honest to goodness, something would happen, and I'd feel it well up, and I'd just go, and in that deep breath, I would just go back and go, okay, God, I know I've forgiven them because of everything you've forgiven me. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. Let me show that same grace to them. And that's what would go through my mind as I took that deep breath. And nobody else around me even knew what was going on. Sometimes it was in the presence of that person. They'd say something that'd be a trigger. And I would just kind of have to I never was able to do it without the deep breath. That's as close as I got. My hope is that you'll go down that path of forgiveness too. Would you want me to be close? Father, I thank you for your grace that you've shown to each and every one of us. Father, I dare say I even thank you for your wrath that you will pour out on those who have done wrong and have been done unjust things to us. There will be a celebration, Father, of your justice one day. But, Father, let us also celebrate your grace, too. Father, may we move one day beyond accepting your grace for others to celebrating your grace for everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.